welcome to another powerful message from One Life OK. We really hope you enjoy it. My little prophetic prodigies are out today. I have to read what they tell me. One of them told me that an angel was walking down the center, center aisle and depositing honey, fire, and diamonds. I like that. In your open mouth. Key is open mouth. I wanted to start, though, today with um, Tessa just sent me this word, and it's exactly what I'm going to preach today, so I wanted to just read it just for her sake, but for the sake of the hearers. That's good, right? Look, I have water down here. What's that doing down there? I think I put that down there. Y'all good? You sure? Oh, yeah. Somebody said, oh, yeah. The seed of expansion is in the weakness. And the worship due me is in the place of humility. I refuse to make a covering for myself. One of leaves and twigs that will not sustain this great calling. The anointing of a sent one must know the covering of a father, the tree of life covering. So we walk away from the covering of our natural fathers, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, simply the opinion of man. It was our places of sensitivity that were targeted for the enemy territory. It is in these areas where weight is being laid down so our hollow places can rise with spirit wind. Like the bones of birds, we are made with these hollow places. To catch the wind of a spirit, we must become light. We must come to the table and lay down every weight. The place of sensitivity, sensitive vulnerability, places of our souls. Cece knows it. That goes good with what I'm going to talk about today, so it's kind of mind-blowing sometimes. Mind-blowing me, Tessa. I um, I processed um, most of the week this word, but it was last night late that I was listening to Cece and Shudi talk about some dreams that they had had this week, which were also mind-blowing me. But ultimately, I had translucent skin, so that made me happy after the bulldozer came through, right? But I wanted to talk today that we've been on this little trajectory of learning to be cocooned and wait and learning what that means and knowing that every every ending cocoon just makes for a new cocoon. And remember what waiting actually is this is expectancy of more and so God is doing things in the secret and then of course last week I feel like we were just really empowered with I will rise that we have to understand that same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us and that resurrection is what sets us apart from any other religion on the planet right quote religion And so today I'm going to talk about it's time to build. And I, 
the the Holy Spirit showed me these elements of building. I've been hearing words this week from just different random things about building. I, um, you know, we're, it's everything for God is really strategic. You know, we, um, we just flipped this house and we're supposed to close on it this week. And so that that's a release of a seed um, for different things. And, and God just builds things and then he releases things out of what's been built. And if you could think of yourself today while I'm talking, the revelation that God gave me is that part of part of the building process with him is actually removing the parts that aren't going to be part of the new building. So when we went to remodel this house, um, when I walked in, um, the Holy Spirit told me that um, I was to restructure the entire interior of the house, like move walls and all that kind of stuff. You know, it's kind of my favorite thing to do. But there was a significant reason I felt like he told me that, that it was this, it was this, I actually changed where the front door came in. The front door where the front door did come in is now in the primary master, we can't use that word anymore, um, bathroom. And, and so he was telling me that he was making a new entrance and it was a significant season for them, a little bit ringing, significant season for this change of entrance, if you will. And I think that that's true for us together. Um, and so I wanted to start with these two scriptures. I have 37 scriptures. And so I'm probably going to do part of it this week and part of it next week. We'll see. Romans 8, 38, I'm going to start with, I live with the confidence that there is nothing in the universe with the power to separate me from God's love. This word today comes from the revelation of his love. I've experienced a revelation of his love and I am persuaded and I live from a place of complete confidence that there is nothing that can separate me from his love. I can't be unloved. I can't be unwanted. So I'm not trying to solve those two problems. So with my assignment on the planet, I'm not trying to solve that I'm wanted or loved. I hope today that you are freed in a new way to pursue the assignment and the way God laid it out for you. The second scripture I want to start with is Galatians 3, 26. You have all become the true children of God by faith of Jesus, the anointed one. And it was faith that immersed you into Jesus, which you came pre-deposited with faith. So it was the faith that you didn't even know you had, that Jesus pulled on when you got saved. You didn't pull on it. You didn't want him. You didn't know you needed him. I know you thought that you had something to do with your salvation and your coming to, but you had nothing to do with it. See, I know you think that you were part of you getting saved, but you were not. He 
pulled and snugged and grabbed and planned and deposited all kinds of things that you couldn't even see. You didn't know that's what was happening to you. And then look, you've come to this knowledge and now you're trying to learn to unlearn what wasn't him. And today I hope that we can unlearn some things and you're trying to learn how to be more specific about your assignment. You're not meant to save the whole world. That's not your job. You're here for a specific assignment by the creator that you cannot change. You don't have to do it. You don't have to do it. You can make up a new assignment and you can be successful at it. God gave humanity the ability to be successful without him. But with him. Anything's possible. Just think of that for a minute in the light of, I gave up a lot of stuff to be here. There's other people in this room that gave up stuff to do life this way. This is not life in the norm. This is a supernatural life he's inviting us to. And people in your family, people that you used to know, they may not want to do it. You do not have to do your God assignment. I'll go as far as to say you might limp on into heaven and not ever even do your God assignment. Because the requirement for entrance isn't in heaven isn't our assignment. But the reward is. The reward only awaits those who will lay down their life daily and do the thing he's asked to do. And it ain't your thing. And you don't know it, and you're not good at it. And every day you do with him, it's going to require yielding from your heart, not your head. But if you will, you will do greater works than Jesus did. You're on a trajectory to do greater works than Jesus did, not greater works than your family did. They're not the standard. Not greater works than you did last year. You're all better than you were last year. Just better than last year is not the goal. It was faith that immersed you into Jesus, the anointed one. And now you're covered and clothed with his anointing. And we no longer see each other in our former state, Jew or Gentile. Jew or non-Jew is really what it says. It doesn't even say Gentile. Jew or non-Jew, rich or poor, male or female. Say that out loud with me. And we no longer longer see each other other in our former state, state. male or female, female. rich or poor. poor. No longer. You just don't. You just don't see each other that way anymore. That's the sacred cow I'm going after today. How you see you and how you see others. I propose to you that we have stuck each other in roles that were never God's original design. When I preached that we are to return to our original design, it was the garden state. The first state of being when God walked in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. I'm going to venture into that with you a little bit more. It says, because we're all one, Look at your neighbor and say, we're all one. 
See, sometimes I don't feel like I'm one with you. But I tell them, sometimes I don't feel like I'm one with you, but I really want to be. I really want to be. Tell them how much you want to be. I really want to be. I really want to be one. That's really what he's saying, that you already are one in his eyes. It's our eyes that he's trying to change. We're all one through our union with Jesus, and there's no distinction between us. I'm going to get that today. I think you're going to leave here changed. In God's eyes, there is no distinction between us. I propose to you that the counterfeit solution to this is the transgender movement. It's, it's the counterfeit. And remember that Lou only can do a counterfeit where God's already doing something. So the first process of building is that we have to have some plans. Plans rendered is what I call that. Got a little slide for that. Step one. So in the building process, you kind of have to know what you're building. I like to use the house analogy. It's really easy for me to... You have first a desire. Has anybody ever had a desire to build their own house? Or have a house. Let's just go some more simple. Anybody? <laughs> that was too much. Anybody ever wanted just to have your own house? Well, you know, if you go look at ones that are already built, you don't understand this process, right? We've got to have some plans. I mentioned it earlier. Plans in God's world are thoughts. Jeremiah 29, I know the plans I have for you. That's the word thought. I know the thought, I know the plans. It's, a, it's synonymous. It's a big word for Tisa, wouldn't it? Plans for peace and well-being, not for disaster, but to give you a future and a hope. So that's the plan is his. So have you ever thought about your life and you thought you knew what you wanted? Have you ever went and got some of what you thought you wanted? When it wasn't his plan, has anyone got anything that they thought in their life and then it wasn't his plan? And how did you know it wasn't his plan? It was all that peace, wasn't it? All that perchable peace, perchable, perchable peace. We can't purchase peace. It's an indicator, right? Some of you ended up here in the middle of your big plan. I intersected with green hair breezy at Apple in the middle of her made up plan. Now, see, when I met her, I knew she wasn't in God's plan. But guess what? She didn't know it. She thought she was right smack in the middle of the will of God the big ultimate pinnacle of the plan for Aubrey Huffman. Wow, what a long way to fall. You know, God's good. He just keeps taking out the ladder rungs, yes. right? I like Isaiah 55 for my thoughts. They're not your thoughts. My plans are not your plans. See, we've got to lock into no matter what you make up in your brain that you think you want to do, it is not his thing. 
He's got, especially if I have the Adam nature, I'll just want Skittles and Dr. Pepper. I'll be good with food stamps. I'll be good with limping along. I will just be good with the inferior. Can you agree with that? So my thoughts are not your thoughts. My plans are not your plans. Nor are your ways my ways. He's telling us right there. There must be a process we must go through so we can figure out his way. Because he's already telling us it's not us. That's the planning stage. In that planning stage, I have to give up. And I have to die daily. Have you ever been walking along and you think, okay, well, I've died a lot. Man, I've just, I've given up a lot. Man, there's nothing else left. And then he comes. Right, right. And he's like, well, let me just touch that dead thing. And then you're like, whoa. Anybody live in that? I live in that perpetual state. I don't want to do my plan. I don't even know if you understand this, but there is nothing within me that wants to go rogue and do my own plan. So that requires me to have input and accountability and interaction with other people in Him. That's, independence is the guarantee of plans failed. Because He doesn't even make plans in that way. Right? You agree? Yes. The second thing we have to do is, it's going to start getting a little slower here. I've got a few more scriptures on this one, is clearing the ground. I love this part. It might be shocking to you, but some of y'all have built something on a plot of ground that God predestined for something else, and it's a really big structure already, and you're going to have to, what do they call it in Colorado? Scrape it. You're going to have to scrape it. Anyone ever scraped anything? There's more scraping. See, when you know you've scraped the whole thing off, I've been there. Many times. You just realize it's a way of life. It's not even about doing it wrong. It's actually about promotion. When you're in the scraping process, you're setting yourself up for promotion. Let's let's look at it. He kept he reminded me of the scripture scripture in Hosea, and it says this so this is amplified, so with a view to righteousness, that righteousness like seed may germinate, reap in accordance with mercy and loving kindness, and break up your uncultivated, now in the King James, that word is fallow, F-A-L-L-O-W, ground. Now, I did a lot of investigation on this fallow word. It just kept seeing being significant to me. And this fallow word means that it's unaccustomed to moral action. Fallow is a hard place. And he's telling us to till that up. Till up the place in me 
that needs a new moral high ground. That place got hard because it was unaccustomed to living a moral high ground life. It got hard. That tells us that tells us that anything we do out of bad character makes us hard. See, he wanted us to sow and reap, but we got to break up the fallow ground. The other definition of the fallow ground is not pregnant. Fallow ground is impossible. Jesus talked about the seeds. I don't have time in Luke 4, I think, 7, 10, somewhere. Anyway, it was impossible for the seed to die on fallow ground. It's not pregnant. The other place of fallow ground is a period of time when nothing is happening. It's all hard right there. Have you ever had that season where nothing's happening? It gets hard. So these are definitions of the thing that God told us to break up. How do you break up fallow ground? Anybody ever rented a roller tiller? Do you know what a roller tiller is? Haley has no idea what a rotor tiller is. It's a machine that has big spike. Wish I had a picture of it. Big spiky things that turns in a rotary fashion. Now, the interesting thing is, Pam and I have had this experience. If the ground is really, really, really hard, a rotor tiller that's meant to mulch up the ground, sift it, just runs right over the top. So that means that this fallow ground needs some tending to. Yeah. The rotor tiller is the easy way. Wouldn't it be great? <laughs> Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if that would just be the thing we have to do? Just here, let's just get a machine, let's run over it. I think it takes a little bit of handwork. Yeah. A little more detailed work. To see what is in my life that's unaccustomed to a new level of character. Where is it? That's what I was saying today. Where is it that this seed needs to get planted? This seed needs to be planted in your identity. Because otherwise you will build your own thing. You're a builder. You can't stop it. Even if you've been building something that turned out crappy, you were building it, man. You were putting effort into it. You're making decisions toward it. You're texting people. You're going places. You're spending money. You're moving, man. You're moving. You're using the internet. You're doing all kinds of tools. You're building. You're building. You're building. You're building. And then all of a sudden you're like, wow, that's a bunch of poop. No one even wants to eat that fruit. Have you been there? Man, you were working so hard at that. Remember how hard you worked? And so he said to sow, and he said to reap, and he said to break up. Because this is what he said, for now it's time to seek and search diligently for the Lord and to long for his blessing. I propose we can't even seek and search diligently for him if we haven't done those things. That's why he's saying, 
That's clearing the ground. If you clear the ground, you can seek. That means I'm removing everything else that I have built in my life. I'm clearing the ground of thoughts and motives and systems and ways that I put information, money, attitude, decisions toward so I have room to seek Him. Everybody's not going to do this, sweet pea. Everybody's not going to do this. In fact, they're going to wonder why you're not doing what they're doing. They're going to wonder why your system don't look like their system. It's not really the point today. The point is what will you choose as for you and your house? This is your house. This is an individual personal word today. God told me this was an empowerment word today. In Jeremiah 4, it says, here's a message from God. Plow your unplowed fallow fields and don't plant weeds in the soil. Seems real logical to me. Rend your lives, circumcise your lives, rend your hearts, plow your unplowed hearts. This is a heart work right now today. This is something about your heart, not your head. This is where the seed is trying to get planted in your heart. I like this in Proverbs 13. It says, the lovers of God will live a long life and get to enjoy their wealth. The Hebrew, it says, is in the fallow ground of the poor, there is abundance of food. In the hard place, there's food. But it's fallow and the poor don't want to work hard. That's what makes them poor. Not because there's no food there. That's what keeps them in poverty is they're not willing to break up the fallow ground. The food is in the soil. It says injustice sweeps it away. How many people, pone the head, how many orphan thinkers have a lot of injustice happen to them? Well, just think for a minute. You were once there. Agreed? Injustice, not fair. They got a raise, somebody done me wrong. The food is in the soil. The seed can't get in the soil to grow you food. Did you get it? And so here comes injustice. Why isn't the government doing that for me? Why are we passing laws like that? Did you know laws are being passed by people? Laws are being passed by people. People who have been in charge who don't know God pass laws that say it's okay to kill your baby. In fact, we'll make some clinics. In fact, we need those babies that aren't babies. We need some of their stuff now because we're going to make some, solve some problems with these non-baby parts. 
these non-human parts that we can just kill and not feel bad about. Somebody passed that law while you were sound asleep at home. And your parents were too. So God's raising up people that are saying, there's people in this room that are supposed to do things in the political arena. You're supposed to pass laws that we don't kill our babies anymore. Come on, step into it. But find a passion for why God really puts you on the plane. You have an assignment. It's not your own. 1 Corinthians, it says, so why fool yourself? 1 Corinthians 3.18, so why fool yourself and live under an illusion? Make no mistake about it. If anyone thinks he's wise by the world's standards, he will be made wiser by being a fool for God. So the greatest intellectual place you can be in the world is foolishness to God. For what the world says is wisdom is actually foolishness in God's eyes. We're talking about clearing the ground right now. Some of y'all got a lot of ground clearing to do in an intellectual area. You love to serve God and people with your logic. For the world says wisdom is actually foolishness in in God's eyes. As it's written, the cleverness of the know-it-alls becomes the trap that ensnares them. The Lord sees right through the clever reasonings of the wise and knows that it's all a sham. Think about it. We've used intellect to protect us. Not everybody. But we've used intellect to protect us. And when we are being our own protector, we are missing out on the truths and revelations of God that would actually change and sustain us. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about right now, it's probably not you. But the intellectual people in here know what I'm talking about. Mendel knows what I'm talking about. It says, if anyone thinks he's wise by the world standard, he must first become ignorant or silly. And then he can become truly wise. All of that is ground clearing. Now, this next point is about our foundation. I called it foundation laying. Now, there's all kinds of foundations. I could do you a little dissertation about it. I know a lot about little structures, but let's just make it simple. That there is an entire dwelling, a temple for God that he's making in you. And so the foundation has to be right. Agreed? How many have realized that you have some fundamental foundational truths that are skewed? I want to really get one today. I hope that you will receive it. The foundation is, the definition of that is, it's the firmness of my soul to make stable, or it's an institution or system of truth. Trust me, the greatest gift you can give yourself is to ask God if what you think and what you believe is actually truth. Let me get one today, shall I? In studying this out, I, there's a, I have a lot of information about the foundation, but 
through a discussion with with Cece and Shudi, it I had been feeling this burning in my heart because the Holy Spirit said to me last week, he said that men and women's roles are have become confused and the seed of pregnancy is in the woman. And the anointing to birth that is what needs to be protected. And so I that's what started me on this search. And so... I was reading a couple of things, and then Cece reminded me of this snippet from Robin Bullock's book. I think it's called God is Good or something. God is absolutely good. Absolutely get that in there. But there's this chapter called How the System Was Manipulated to Cause the Fall. If you can hear me today, just like I said on Wednesday, there's a system that was set up that y'all all are living in currently. Yes. And if you believe what I'm saying today, you're going to have to make some changes to your life. You don't have to. I made this change long ago, and you're going to have to make this change to walk in your destiny. Now, you can choose some other destiny, like I just I made it clear, right? You don't have to do this plan. Yes. But let me read you a little snippet from this book. He says, man is the ultimate authority over all seed, mankind. Animals can sow in this dirt world, but only in their own realms of authority. For example, fish can only sow in the world of water, fowls to the fowl world, and so forth. Though they can assist one another at times, they can't carry a seed over into the eternal world. Mankind, however, is spirit, soul, and body, and they can. Therefore, the serpent had to get mankind to do something with the seed. If a new spiritual overlord was to come into being, then this new something had to be done, right? This is what he said. Pay close attention to what the serpent said. Hath, this is King James, Hath Elohim said, Ye shall not eat of every ultimate tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, Elohim said, Ye you cannot eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You, you will not die. For Elohim does know that in the day, I'm trying to not read it in King James, in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes will be open and you shall be as Elohim's knowing good and evil. He said, did you read closely the serpent's conversation? Did you notice the serpent never mentioned the name Lord Yahweh? Satan conveniently and deliberately left God, left out God in his system of harvest. The deception was concerning the system of seed, plant, and harvest. Elohim did not say things that the servant said he said or that the woman claimed. It was Yahweh Elohim that said them, and he did not say them the way the serpent or the woman quoted. This was the birth of all lies. Remember how they were before, Right? So much happened in this event, okay, that we still do and live by today. 
It was the birth of all lies. It was already decreed into the system what would happen if certain actions were taken by man and woman. It says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also to her husband with her and he did eat. Notice that the man was with the wife. He was standing there the whole time. The woman was deceived, but Adam committed treason. I propose that we have lived under a system of blaming people for our smallness when we just heard God wrong. Are you with me? Are you okay? It says, remember, Adam was created first and had the privilege of sitting on the seat of blood in God's presence. Whether you believe Adam was seated there spiritually or physically, it carries the same authority in heaven. This is important because when Adam looked out over the tabernacle in heaven, he could see it all. He saw the golden altar of incense, the lampstand, the showbread, and he saw the ceremonial cleansing at the labor that the priest would have to perform. Are y'all in that right now in the book? Yes. He could see the brazen altar where sacrifices would have to die, and he knew the things that that are like, and he knew that the things like it, the brazen altar would only become active if he sinned. Are y'all following me? Just let that wash over you. He knew he's trying to he's trying to make a distinction between what Adam he, what Adam knew and what you know because when they were first made, they were both called Adam, and what ultimately Eve knew. He knew blood would have to be offered on the seat on which he sat should, sat should he sin. Adam knew this. He also knew it would have to be his covenant partner that would have to pay his ransom, yet he sinned anyway. This is why Adam knew so much about offering sacrifices and so forth. He knew the system of seed, plant, and harvest as well. After they disobeyed, they heard the voice of Yahweh, Elohim, walking in the garden in the cool of day. And when we study the passage closely, we find that this is what was said. They heard the voice of Yahweh, Elohim, being conversant in the garden. It literally means there were lightning flashes. Bad weather began to show up. It even points to a whirlwind. The cycles of the earth scared Adam and his wife. And Adam said, I hid myself because I was afraid. He had never been afraid before. But now death had been sown into the cycles of life and terrible fear and dread was upon him. When the scripture tells us that Adam hid himself, the Hebrew word of this passage indicates he built himself a shelter. In chapter 3, Yahweh, God pronounces into the hearts of Adam and his wife, as well as in all creation, that seeds were sown and the harvest would now be rendered. Genesis 3.20 says then, And Adam called his wife's name Eve. God never named Eve Eve. Because she was the mother of all living. Something more is recorded here than just what we read on the surface when you are dealing with names, you can also be dealing with authority. 
take note at where this is recorded. It was recorded right after the curses were announced. The way of life Adam knew and loved had come crashing down around him. We can clearly see from verse 12 that Adam is blaming God and the woman God gave him. When Adam named his wife Eve, this was not a pet name for her. He was not in a very petting mood at this time. He named her Eve, the mother of all living. Also, the Bible is plain to tell us in Genesis 3.20 that Adam named his wife, not God. Genesis 5.2 says that God named her Adam. She was equal to the male. They both had blood covenant with God. What Adam meant by the name Eve was, you are no longer equal to me. Now your name is Eve because you gave birth to all this disaster we're living in. Want to make some changes? Do you want to make some changes? Do you really want your original design? Something interesting along these lines is this. In Hebrew, the letters have numeric value. According to one chart, the numeric value of Yahweh is 26, and the numeric value of the name Adam is 45, and the numeric value of Eve is 19. Adam and his wife were both named Adam in the day they were created, and that would have made them both a 45. But after the fall, the male removed 26 points from her name, leaving only 19 as Eve. He was telling her, I now remove your authority in Yahweh, and I drop you below me. He was saying, from now on, I'll do the sowing. This is where the tradition came that women can't work, preach, or do anything else that would have authority over males. Want to make some changes? Guys, y'all want to make some changes in your noggins? They reaped a harvest of being below males from that time on. I propose to you, well... I'll, I'll got something to say about it here in a minute. This is one reason the last Adam, Jesus, always referred to women as the man with a womb. This title, this title puts women on equal plane with males. The first Adam cursed women, but the last Adam, Jesus, set them free. You're going to have to make some changes to believe this, men and women in this room right now today. Can you feel it? The next part he calls is coats of skins. I had to read this because of what Tessa sent. Unto Adam also and to his wife did Elohim, Yahweh Elohim, make coats of skins. This has two meanings. Number one, shirts of leather from animals. And number two, layers of hide. Here we find the life force of all living, Yahweh Elohim pronouncing to man the balance for the scales that held the curse, blood. Blood was the seed that would render God's presence. It's interesting to note the words coats of skin or layers of hide. It's not only means shirts of leather, but it also is described something far deeper. Remember, one translation for the name Adam is red and rosy. One thing this describes to us is his complexion, but it's common knowledge that humans have multiple layers of skin. The reason for that is one layer decays every so often and another takes its place. But before man sinned, Nothing died. The decay process had not yet entered the earth. 
Therefore, Adam had no need for multiple layers of hide or coats of skin. With the glory of God shining from inside Adam, it lighted up his blood and Adam's complexion was red and rosy through one layer of skin. This light was so bright that he and his wife had no need of clothing. After the fall, death entered creation, and Yahweh caused man to grow multiple layers of skin called coats of skin. If not for this, mankind would have completely died off when the original first layer of skin died. Even the animals had to be structured differently, so Yahweh made them to adapt also. They begin to grow things, develop things physically to help them survive. He makes this note. This is the last thing from Robin that I'm going to read today. Every false teaching has some truth in it or it would not be believable. So this is what I wrote. Recently, Cece's saying, stir my heart like you stirred the waters. I want to taste a new surrender. Today, God is asking us to surrender our old mindsets. I believe that it's this generation's mandate to free people into their destinies and to remove any askewed, and that word means not level, definitions and limitations that we have assigned to people and roles that were never God's design. I think we all feel uncomfortable in our smallness, like we feel out of place or out of sorts. The whole earth is groaning for us to wake up to the original design from the great designer. Like we said on Wednesday, if you will listen and believe, then it will cause you to remember that you're currently doing something that possibly needs to get blown up. Then you will live from an authentic place. In our fallen natures, we act just like our mother and father, the Adams. Who will rise up from the ashes of your fallen Adam nature and rise into your destiny? The Holy Spirit showed me a shift in direction he wants us to embrace and pursue and build from. One life was established as a pioneering vision of empowering us to be our original design. It burns within his heart for us to come into alignment with his heart of originality and flow with him from an unrestrained creative power and authority and glory. No other time in history is God restructuring so much that's been wrong. It has permeated our beliefs and thoughts. As I said earlier in the Bible, where the word thought is used in the Old Testament, it means plans. So our thoughts became our plans. He wants to make a major shift in that area today. Those who are willing to embrace what he says will have freedom in this next season. This is not a democracy of voting. You either hear the word and adjust accordingly or you hear it and then mingle the word with your other systems, your other thoughts and plans. Or you say today, I will change according to his word. The Holy Spirit said to me the other day that women carry the seed to birth new life so that seed needs protecting. The anointing he places on the seed is in need of protecting. I think we put pressure on ourselves to live outside our calling when we expect roles to look a certain way. 
I've been seeing this play out in our lives here at One Life where we have compromised our standards in order to be connected. There's always balance to the words that Papa gives us, but we have to learn the places to apply the things he says. We can't exchange our destiny for an earthly connection or compromise our anointings to protect something or come under something in someone else. Don't allow yourself to come underneath someone's deception or it will take out your destiny. This is not a competition. This is an assignment of destiny and purpose. When will we give up our identity or will we believe the altered version of our identity? Then we will slip into a frustrating lower level living and it won't fulfill what was promised. We were all modeled inferior roles for men and women. We keep trying to push ourselves into these molds of slavery that man made up. Jesus broke the curse, the curse of death. And today we have to realize that because he broke that curse, I have to change my mindset that lines up with what he originally designed. And this, this is not what we have to get out of is that this is not a competition to see who can do their destiny and who's going to come alongside and help them do their destiny. It's not like that. Everyone has an assignment. Everyone has a destiny. And when I do my destiny, no matter if it's so different than what I thought it was going to be, it will make me feel fulfilled because that's what he put in me. And I've just been seeing this thing in us where we, God is trying to actually scrape off some foundations and things we think that actually have made up our foundation. He is coming in and he's saying, you can't live there anymore. You're miserable living there. You're too small living there. No one, and we don't have to wait for someone to come champion that in us. The greatest gift you can give to yourself is to sit before God long enough to hear where he affirms you. You know, we're all wanting, I believe, everybody in this room, there's no doubt in my mind, everybody in this room wants to do their God assignment. But do you really know what's standing in the way of you doing it? I think this belief is keeping women small and keeping men in another role that they are not even anointed to do. And they're working hard, trying to be the boss, trying to be the man. And I think it's in the low place. And I think women keep trying to get underneath something that's supposed to be low. And I think God is saying he put the seed in women for a reason. And I can tell you that one life is never not going to be women led. That's just because that's that's just the assignment of the house. I know I'm I know who I'm passing this down to, and I know what he called them to do, and that's just the assignment. And so that means that if a man's going to come here, they're going to have to find their way in the midst of a bunch of powerful women. And I propose, I mean, I think Aaron gets this more than any other guy in here. I propose that Aaron understands now the value of Cheryl like never before. But I bet you, you talk to them, 
That was reversed at one time. And you know what it did to Cheryl? It made her think she was fly on the wall somewhere. But let me tell you women, don't wait for a man to come and affirm you. Guys, let me tell you, don't wait for some man to come and tell you to get down low. If we would just position ourselves the way God designed us, do you understand that when Jesus broke the curse, we were all returned to equal playing? You choose. I'm going to live that way. I am not an apologetic. I will not apologize for what God's called me to do. I will not apologize for raising up people in their right positions. I'm not trying to put anybody down or take anybody up or reverse. I'm just trying to get you to be what he said you could be. And I am telling you when you will be that, especially, I mean, one of the, one of the things that happened because of this father's generation is that men actually began to use women, the pain of women for their own pleasure. That's the number one travesty that's happened on the planet right now is that, that, that God actually has called men to be a protector of the seed, but instead they use their own pleasure to determine whether or not they were going to be positioned in women's life. And it created harm and it created abuse all over the planet. And God's going to repair it. I am telling you right now uh, on this planet, God is setting up where women are made into the position that God said they were in and they don't have to jockey for position. And he's letting men's eyes be open to what they were really doing. And guys in this room have used women for that thing. And so it's time to repent first off. And girls, it's time to repent for getting underneath that. Quit exchanging your destiny to get underneath a weakness in some other human. And I'm just telling you right now that if we would all reposition our hearts right now, that God would actually send revival to this entire region. And we would do the things that God said we could do. We would do everything that Jesus said we can do. And all we're doing is we're returning back to garden status. Listen, Jesus died so you can return to that status where you can walk with him and talk with him. And you women, you will not be deceived. And men, you will not commit treason against God because you know truth. And that's what he's calling us to. I'm telling you this, clearing the ground today. Y'all need to go home and get before the Lord and say, where do I need to clear the ground? Where do I need to get rid of this stuff that has not been your design at all? I have come under it or I've got on top of it or I did something with it and it just wasn't him. Just think about the freedom that you can give to other people. Listen, it's pressure on men to be in roles that the church told them to be in that Paul didn't even mean because they're not even good at it. And that's why there's been so much pressure. That's why there's been so much falling in leaders because they weren't meant to do that. It's pressure on women to get so low that they act like they don't have any anointings, they don't have anything, and they settle for men who will help them stay low. And I'm telling you, just don't let that be you. Wherever you fall, this should be a, like I said, this should be honey. This should be honey. This should actually free you to just be that thing you, that somebody, you know, when I was just preparing for this word, I was hearing every sermon I've ever heard about how women get underneath men. I'm just telling you, God is saying no more. 
Not in any way. He is coming in and he is taking his till and he is tilling up all of that fallow ground. He's saying no more, no more. And I think that, you know, when I was hearing all these voices from all these old preachers, and they were all men, they, it was like torment to me. The enemy was saying, don't release this word today. You're just going to be called all kinds of things. Of course, y'all aren't going to do that, but that's that thing. That, that's what we hear. Is, are there any women in here hearing any voices about old mindsets at all? That's the enemy right there. See, that's what you got to break. That's what that was. Believe me today. Believe what I'm saying today. If you'll believe it and you will adjust your life to it, God will set you free. You've got to make an adjustment in your mind right now. Listen, this has nothing to do with women's rights, men's rights. This has nothing to do with anything political. This has nothing to do with any sort of laws. This only has to do with what God is doing on the earth right now and who will partner with this assignment. Come on, Mendel. Mendel's going to close out with this powerful word that she wrote that has to do with what we're talking about. Wow. Honey. Honey, nothing's ever tasted so good. Man, I can't wait to go back and listen to more of this message because it is packed full of some meat, right? Wow. Well, man, I can't tell you how many prophetic things have been said and sung and shared and dreamt and all of that. But, you know, this was a word that I hope was a challenge to you, that this seeing that man, males, were not supposed to be in leadership without females. You're operating like with only the front two tires of your vehicle, supposed to be running on four, you know? So, of course, it's going to fail. Men need women in leadership. We're a partnership. You're only operating with half of the bride of Christ if you only allow men to lead. You know, which half are we saying you can use? Be in leadership, you know? You only have half of the bride of Christ if you only let men lead. And so this is a restorative word, like she said, for men and women. Because men are not equipped to lead by themselves. They're missing the other half of the bride of Christ. So this is a powerful, powerful, powerful word that does require change. It requires a lot of change in our mindsets. And so this word that I have today is, um, is a response. It, it deals with the subject of what do we do when we hear a challenging word, when we, say, we hear that a change needs to be made, right? How do we, there's some of us know, we already know like, well, I don't love change or I have a reaction to change in general. And there's, um, I, I started, I was processing with him yesterday because I went outside in my backyard and the neighbors had put up this new wind chime that was, and it was very windy yesterday. And it had a very low vibrating kind of tone that basically was nonstop the entire time because of how windy it was. And it was not pleasant in my ears. And I noticed that my first thoughts were like, oh no, my oasis is ruined forever. This wind chime, it's never going to be the same. And I'm going to lose 
my my oasis where I love to sit in the backyard and and feel the wind and hear the birds and on and on and on. And it, it started to occur to me that why do I think that change meant I was going to lose something? And also, why is this one little thing able to irritate me enough to be a distraction enough from my time with Papa? Like, is it really that powerful that that could happen? And so um, Tisa and I had been talking about this thing that's been, we've been both been, I know plenty of you have too, have been feeling this, the, the, I don't, wait's not the best word, but the weightiness of this change and what Papa's saying and there's, I woke up with this kind of grievous feeling about why um, we can't engage with his change like we want to and like he's asking us to. And so just saying, I had a dream last night that I saw some pictures of paintings that were incredible, but one of the paintings showed Papa God from behind. And he was, he, or maybe it was Jesus, it was probably Jesus, but he had his hands up like this in this atmosphere of color and clouds. It was this thick, thick atmosphere. He was mixing it all up. He was just, it was like watching a sculptor like reshape all sorts of stuff. It was incredible. But we have to have a, a proper response to that, right? So I, I wrote this word. I'll, I'm going to share a little bit of insight from it along the way. But this first part is about this, our initial response to this challenge to change. So I said, Father, come and let your wind have its say. What's on your heart today? Father, come and let your wind have its say. What is on your heart today? The winds of change are blowing. There's so much you're saying, and there's so much you're doing today in this place, so much in your heart to be displayed on this landscape, on my landscape, on our landscape, on the one that you've built and brought us to at this specific time and place. We're here for a reason. We're not on some tourist exposition just to see the sights and marvel at what has already taken place. We're here because there's more in your vision for this place. Because there's more in us building blocks to be placed in specific ways to expand and represent your true heart, your true vision. I wonder what is what it is that you're already picturing today that you intend to build in this place. In the winds of your activity, there's so much that distracts the builders you've put in place. How do we shift to seeing the winds of change as glorifying your name instead of being distractions for the day? How do we rise above the irritations that come with the vibrations of change? How do we see the winds of change as bringing glory to your name instead of another distraction for the day? Do we cower and squirm our way out of your flow just to be relieved of what irritations have grown? We cry, come, come with your redeeming love. But when you respond, do we just cower and run? What benefit do we give the enemy when we assume that change is harming? When we assume that change has come to rob me instead of bring the answer to my prayers. Yes. 
Why must the things that grab our attention be an irritant instead of an invitation? What has happened to bring us to this place where our default is to think that we're going to lose today? What's happened to create this expectancy of loss instead of gain? How is it possible that a people so filled with passion and devotion for you, with heart cries aimed solely at you, so easily assume that irritation is something to be avoided or disdained? Oh, Papa, my heart cries out for you. My heart is grieved for you. My heart is grieved at this ridiculous response to your goodness to your hand extended to us. I believe it's the orphan who grieves the father. It's the orphan who looks at the father's extended hand and sees lack. It's the orphan who sees the robe and the ring and still wonders if dinner will be. It's the orphan who sees majesty standing before them, glory surrounding them, a God upholding them, and still questions the intentions of his winds of change. Oh, Papa, forgive us. Forgive us for holding on to our orphan vision when you've already welcomed us into your kingdom. Forgive us for refusing to let go of self-protection when you have shown us the army of heaven. Papa, show us the error of our ways. Show us the places in us that still operate in this ways, in this way. Our smallness is such an offense to your majesty. It ought not be. It in itself is such a tragedy. My heart cries out for you to be seen, Papa, for your goodness to trump evil in our minds, in the way that we see. Have we flipped the script? The Israelites saw you coming in and assumed victory was at hand. No matter that you rode on a donkey and carried no sword, they still believed you were the majestic king come to rescue and redeem. I wonder, were their minds seared when they saw you die on the cross? Did they vow to never again assume that victory was at hand? Did they fail to see you rise from that grave? Did they fail to connect the dots and see that victory was riding in that day? How is it that thousands of years later, we still fail to see that victory and relief in what is coming? How is it that after all this time, we still doubt that you have the upper hand, that you will overturn the enemy in a way that we just could never perceive? Why is it so hard to trust your leading and your guiding? Why is it so hard for us to believe that surrendering to your leading is walking in victory? Oh, Papa, help us to see rightly. Help us to choose to remove the toxins of orphan thinking. I want no part of it left in me. I want nothing of it to remain in me. What would my life be if I truly gave it all to you? What majestic picture would I see if I let you create through me? What role would I play if I positioned my heart in total surrender today? 
What tapestry would you create through my yielding to you today? You are the master creator. What seeds did you plant inside of me that orphan thinking has buried so deep? What growth do they hold? Is there an oak tree inside of me? Is there a garden blooming colors never before seen? What beauty am I withholding when I resist the change that you have in store for me? Tune my heart to see the possibilities of heaven displayed through me. Tune my heart to the dream, to dream of the good you have in store for me. Tune my heart to believe that you already have an army marching towards me, for me, to protect and fight for the seed of your delight in me. Let my heart not be troubled by these winds of change. May I always see the beauty you want displayed. Let my heart not be troubled by these winds of change. May I always hear your glory in the sounds coming my way. So Papa had a response, and he shares a really interesting thing that I'm going to read and then elaborate on, okay? So he says, Daughter, son, my delight, the true apple of my eye, you've tapped into abundance with your request today. So just saying, if you want to experience his provision for change and all that, all that he's talked about today, go back and reread what I just read. We'll put it in Evernote. Make that your personal cry to him because he's saying you just asked the right question. You just asked me the right things. You just positioned your heart in the right way. You've tapped into abundance with your request today. You've tapped into the abundant life I promised. This is how you experience my glory every day. This is how you live in a place of joy overflowing seeing more than you could imagine or request. This is the way. Your vision, your thinking has been robbing you of seeing rightly. It's not a matter of which reality is more true. It's already been decided. Mine is the greater reality. And there's nothing that you or the enemy can do to change that. So he's coming, this next part that I'm going to read is saying how he's going to help you do what you just asked for, okay? He always provides the grace that's needed, right? He says, I'm coming with recompense in this day. I'm coming to redeem what was stolen, what was distorted, what was misled, what was confiscated. Your past has no hold on my ability to redeem. The seeds that were sown are not more powerful than me. When you step into my abundant dream with full surrender, there is nothing, no nothing that I will not redeem. You used to dream with insecurity. You used to love as one desperately seeking. You used to hope with a victim mentality. I'm coming to redeem. I'm coming to redeem the dream. I'm coming to redeem the love. I'm coming to redeem the hope. I stand by the elements of my love in you. I will not allow them 
to remain misplaced or used. The dreams you dreamed, the love you gave, the hope you chose on dark days, I will redeem. They will not remain victims to the enemy's schemes. They will not remain trafficked for his purposes. I will redeem everyone. I will redeem them and restore them to your treasure chest of love. He said, I gave you these. I equipped you, filled you with these. He's referring to the loving, the dreaming, and the hoping. Okay? He said, I filled you, and I gave you these. I equipped you with these. They came from me, elements of my love instilled in you. A dowry, the wedding chest. As a father, I gave you in marriage with these. You were equipped with all you'd need to be the bride of the one true king. He said, daughter, son, you need to know the seeds you have sown while still operating with orphan mentality will be redeemed. The love you gave that seemed to fall short, I am redeeming. The dream you held on to that seemed to fade away, I am redeeming. The hope you clung to that seemed to just barely get you through, I am redeeming. It will be returned to you with interest paid. As you look forward in partnership with me, I am redeeming all the lost seeds of the past. You no longer need to guard or protect what your history has said. You are free to believe that what has passed will be redeemed. You can leave it with me. You can believe that the winds of change are bringing you a harvest that's been redeemed. Your history has no hold on you. That script that has driven the orphan spirit has been rewritten. When you see the truth in what it means to be truly and fully redeemed, you will fire the teacher of your past. You will dismiss its orphan teaching, breaking partnership with it at last. Now, this is what came into full view after, after I heard that word from him. When we still believe that we are victims of our past, we fuel the need to continue to operate in old orphan ways. This explains so much of what happens in us. When we still believe that we're a victim of our past, we fuel the need to continue to operate in old orphan ways. When we believe the past was successful at robbing us or harming us, we support the belief that the present could do the same. If we believe we are still at risk in this way, we will hesitate to surrender how we learned to self-protect in that season. However, if we could see our past as redeemed 
and restored, we shift our focus to God's victorious love. We shift our focus to the power of his love to protect us and keep us safe. When we live in the awareness of the true extent of his keeping power over us, we are released from our self-protectors into the true freedom to be who he made us to be. Our capacity to live trusting him is increased. And we are then free to turn our attention to fearlessly developing our original design. So he's saying the key to helping you let go of those orphan tools is look at the past and recognize the full extent of my redemption. Recognize what's what I actually say about that. You didn't just fail. You just didn't just mess everything up. And, you know, the enemy just didn't steal and rob and pillage and all of that in your past. He's like, I already, I'm taking care of all that. That came with the package deal of me. And so we, if we remove the sting of that past and we say that our history had, no longer has the ability to rob us, then we, then we change our perspective on the present and the future and we say it doesn't either. The present and the future doesn't have the ability to rob me either because of Jesus, because he is a redeemer. It shifts everything. And it makes so much sense to me that this is why we hang on to the orphan spirit and the orphan tools. We were hesitant to let go because, like I said, we think that that thing still has the possibility to harm us. And so just to share with you a couple, I have to share with you a couple of nuggets. I spent a long time studying this. Fine, I wanted to go just go to the Word and find, you know, where, where Papa talked about this in the Word. And so, but I have a few things I want to highlight to you and then a few I'll share with you and then I'll let you search out the rest on your own. But it was interesting because the one line says, I'm coming to redeem what was stolen, what was distorted, and what was misled, what was confiscated. So I was interested in why confiscated was in there. That was an unusual word. And so confiscation is a legal form of seizure by a government or other public authority. It's a legal form of seizure. Okay? So I believe he's using this term because as Tisa shared today, which was so cool because I didn't even know she was going to share all that, that there was a legal system in place like prior to our salvation. When we were operating as orphans, we sowed seeds that the enemy had a right to harvest. And, And Yahweh will not change his governmental system. The law of seed and harvest is always in effect. So he had a right to confiscate some of our goods because of the seeds that we we had sown. So confiscate. So he's point he's saying something a little more specific here. He's wanting you to recognize that it's not just when you kind of kind of got it right and started having a good heart. He's saying even when you didn't know any better, even when maybe you were intentionally partnering with things and you sowed seeds that were not good and the enemy confiscated from you, he's redeeming that too. He's wanting you to see how far reaching his redemption is. So another interesting thing was that he mentioned a dowry and a wedding chest, right? And this is how I saw this. He was saying your ability to love, your ability to hope, and your ability to dream 
even before you were saved or even while you were still in your orphan spirit and all the different kind of stages of salvation, right? In your maturity. He said, I gave you those. I equipped you with those from the beginning because they came from me. Love, hope, and the ability to dream are elements of his love, right? And he, he says that elements of my love instilled in you, a dowry, the wedding chest. As a father, I gave you in marriage with these. So it's a picture of the Father God giving you in marriage to Jesus. And he's saying, I didn't send you to the planet without being equipped as a bride should be equipped. He's, he gave us a dowry. And so for context, a dowry is the transfer of parental property to a daughter at her marriage. Okay? This fund may provide an element of financial security, even in widowhood or against a negligent husband, or maybe eventually to go to provide for her children. And it was interesting because, of course, this is a historical, you know, um, tradition. And so females back in that day when the father died didn't inherit anything of the family estate. The females received their inheritance from the father when they got married. Okay, so the dowry, it wasn't just for her marriage. It wasn't just intended to be handed off to her husband. He was saying, I'm providing for you now and forever. I'm giving you what you need, daughter, now and forever. And so this interesting, this interesting concept came to me after my process. If just to see the metaphor, right, just to see the full picture of what he's trying to say. As I was dialoguing with him, I realized that our birthday was meant to be our wedding day, okay? Father God decided to take you out of himself and send you to the planet to be the bride of Christ. So our birthday was actually meant in our original design to be the wedding day. But upon our birth, we entered a fallen world and in a sense, we didn't show up for the wedding, okay? You could say we just didn't show up for the wedding. So we didn't marry Jesus right away. Some, you know, you, at some point in our life, everybody in here um, received him. But we didn't marry Jesus right away. Therefore, we began to live without a husband. Okay? We lived, which is what he just, the dowry was for. If you had, base, if you were widowed, okay? Widowed means you don't have a husband. We didn't have a husband because we didn't get married right away. Widowed, if you will. Without the marriage to Jesus, right, since Jesus is the doorway to the Father, without the marriage to Jesus, we were cut off from the Father. Fatherless, we learned to live as orphans. So it's just a cool way to see the, the status, how, how it all happened, you know. But the cool thing is that he's saying, I gave you a dowry and I gave you a wedding chest. Now, I couldn't remember the word for this, but I've, I looked it up and you may know it more as a hope chest. Okay. A lot of times young girls, they had a hope chest. I didn't have one, but apparently Tisa had a hope chest. Uh, a hope chest also called a dowry chest, a cedar chest, or a glory chest. And this was a piece of furniture that was traditionally used by unmarried young women to collect items such as clothing and household linens in anticipation for married life. So it's again, he's saying, I prepared you 
When I sent you as a bride, I gave you a dowry. I gave you a hope chest. It's also called a glory chest. There's so much in there. So in my my, I'm not real familiar with what the hope chest was and all that. So as I was researching that, I came across a place that referenced Isaiah 61. And it says, Isaiah 61.10 says, I'm filled with joy and my soul vibrates with exuberant hope because of the eternal, my God, for he has dressed me with the garment of salvation He dressed me with the garment of salvation, wrapped me with the robe of righteousness. It's as though I'm dressed for my wedding day. In the very best, a bridegroom's garland and a bride's jewels. This, the entire chapter of Isaiah 61 is connected to the word that I just read. It's, it's, it supports it in every single sense of the word. And I, I, I feel like we have had a limited view of what it meant, what redemption meant when he was, he, when we became to know him as redeemer. And so he's wanting to expand that to us with, to us and say that, look, I, I equipped you with love. I equipped you with hope. I equipped you with the ability to dream. Those were jewels. Okay. That I prepared you. I, I clothed you with when I sent you, okay? So remember the uh, in the verse, a bridegroom's garland and a bride's jewels. Just because we went off and, and ran as orphans for a while doesn't mean that he's not going to redeem those things. It's in, so, so many of us, we loved and we got hurt, or we loved and things turned out badly. We hoped and our hopes were dashed. We dreamt and they were, and you know, those were dashed. And those are the injuries that caused us to develop orphan tools. And so he's saying, I'm redeeming what made you hope in the first place, what made you love in the first place, what made you dream in the first place. So a couple of other cool things. I just want to share a few things from Isaiah 61. Please go read the whole chapter. I read it mostly in the Passion Translation, but it says right here, this the first part is, is um, given a subtitle called Messiah's Mission. So this is why he came. I am sent to announce a new season of Yahweh's grace and a time of God's recompense for his enemies. To strengthen those crushed by despair who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful bouquet in the place of ashes the oil of bliss instead of tears, and the mantle of joyous praise instead of the spirit of heaviness. Because of this, they will be known as mighty oaks of righteousness, planted by Yahweh as a living display of his glory. In the word, I asked, do I have an oak tree in me? I hadn't read this chapter yet, you know. It's all here. Beauty for ashes, of course, a garland or a headdress. This is speaking to God has the power to change and move things in our lives to make them into something beautiful. Interesting that that word, um, a spirit of heaviness, can also be translated as a spirit of failure. I think this is important because we. it's one thing if we think, well, we were hurt by other people. Other people were injustice happened to us and he's going to redeem that. But he's also saying where you think you failed, where you failed, he's redeeming that too. 
so important. And of course, oaks of righteousness points to a godly, spiritually mature people who will know the righteousness of God and walk in it. Jesus, the tree of life, multiplies himself in us so we become trees of righteousness. And then a tree becomes a forest. They will restore ruins and rebuild. We're talking about building today, right? This is our purpose. They will renew ruined cities and desolations of past generations. There's a footnote here that says, these desolate places can also point to areas of our lives that are broken and to spiritual truths that have been lost and forgotten for generations, which are now being recovered. That is what he's redeeming. The next verse says, foreigners will be appointed to shepherd your many flocks and strangers will cultivate your fields and tend to your vines. The Holy Spirit told me the emphasis in the, for today on that line was that it was foreigners and strangers who simply put are people we don't know. In other words, we aren't even going to be involved in the process, right? Perhaps the Holy Spirit is telling us that it won't be us who tend to the fields we planted in our past. He is the one redeeming and restoring while we pursue the future with him. He said, while you go forward with me, I am redeeming. That's why it was, it's so cool we sang that song today, which was also unplanned, that nothing in my past has a hold on me because I'm running forward. Verse 7, because you received a double dose of shame and dishonor, you will inherit a double portion. The Amplified says, instead of your former shame, you will have a double portion. And instead of your humiliation, your people will shout for joy over their portion. Therefore, in their land, they will possess double what they had forfeited. We've got to look more closely at the specifics in these words. It's not just all the bad stuff. It's the stuff we forfeited. It's the stuff that we were we, places where we were humiliated. He's redeeming all of it. And when he sets us free and redeems us in those areas, we will be free to run with him, leaving the orphan tools behind. It would be so good to press into this chapter and make it personal and really spend some time imagining, taking the word of the year, making that practical to imagine what he's doing for you, that he's doing it. It will build you up on the inside if you do that. In verse 8, it says, For I, Yahweh, love fairness and justice. I hate stealing and sin. I will rightly repay them because of my faithfulness and enter into an everlasting covenant with them. First is the obvious things. He says, I will repay them. We're not going to repay our past things, our past I mean, mistakes, injuries. Our orphan spirit, our orphan tools is never going to be able to repay that. It's not us. It's him because of his faithfulness, not ours. Interesting, and in the Amplified in this verse, 61.8 in the Amplified, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery with a burnt offering. Now, I heard something extremely powerful on this. I just want to stop and share a little bit more because it's extremely relevant to what Tisa talked about today and specifically what I shared at the end of service on Wednesday. So we talked about 
using other people's lives, their, their life for, to meet our own needs, right? And we talked about how people have t- attempted to even use our lives to redeem their life. You know, it's that thing where, well, I didn't make it as a football player, but I'll make sure my son makes it as a football player. My life will be redeemed, that kind of thing. This is so interesting. He says, I hate robbery with a burnt offering. What does that mean, right? A footnote in the Amplified says that this term is used to refer literally to the theft of an animal, which the thief intends to offer as a sacrifice. So somebody was going to go and bring a sacrifice, but they stole the animal they were going to bring to sacrifice. This, the point is that the offering is unacceptable, even though it actually belonged to God in the first place, and the thief arguably is only returning to God what, it, what is his. If people that try to make our life their pleasing sacrifice to God, they are robbing what was intended to be that person's personal sacrifice and not theirs. So even if on the outside, it appears to be a good thing that they're doing, even if it involves church or some sort of spiritual activity, or if it's in the name of making God look good, it isn't good at all to God because it's a stolen sacrifice. I feel like this is a very, very powerful verse to back up what we talked about on Wednesday and the significance of what Tisa said today, that we've got to recognize the value of the gift he put in us and the value of the life he gave us to give back to him, which is what we sang today again. The value of what he gave us so that we could give back to him. Even if you let somebody else take your destiny and use your life for their purposes, you will not be able to give that back to God. You're giving away your sacrifice to God. You're you're giving away the pleasing sacrifice that was meant to be given from you to God. And you're saying, here, you can take this. You're stealing right now and God actually hates it. But sure, take it. It's the severity of what we're doing will really crack open some of these mindsets if we look at it. It's not okay with God for somebody to steal something and then try to offer it as a sacrifice. And of course, I feel like that's just such a time stamp on the word about what he's redeeming because we had just talked about that too. So of course, then that brings us back to verse 10, which is where he said, he, I will appear like a bridegroom on his wedding day decked out with a beautiful sash or like a radiant bride adorned with sparkling jewels. So again, I think it's just that reference to capturing the fact that your original ability to love, hope, and dream, even if you feel like you failed in the past, you messed it up in the past, God is saying those were literal jewels that came out of the inside of him. Kat Kerr talks about that, how she's seen how the inside of God is filled with jewels, filled with jewels. And so I believe someone, I heard that somebody said that during worship, he was coming and handing out honey, fire, and diamonds, right? That was the picture of exactly what we're talking about. It was the picture of his redeeming love, he's redeeming hope, and he's redeeming our ability to dream. 
So many ways the Holy Spirit has backed up this message today. The final verse in the chapter, I'm going to read it in the voice. It says, the whole earth sprouts newness and life in the springtime. It's spring. Just saying. And green shoots break through the well-seeded garden soil. That's what it's like with the eternal's victory. Think of what Tisa said. The fallowed ground actually has is a well-seeded garden underneath it. He's bringing newness and life at this point in time. And that is the victory that we get to live in. Lastly, I just want to share Song of Songs 8, 8 through 10. My brothers said to me when I was young, our sister is so immature. That's us, okay? We were so immature. We were so immature. What will we do to guard her for her wedding day? And he says, we will build a tower of redemption to protect her. In our immaturity, he built a tower of redemption to protect us. Since she is vulnerable, we will enclose her with a wall of cedar boards. Cedar is a reference to Jesus in so many different ways. It's a reference to the cross and so many, so many things. In our immaturity, he pre-planned this. He has pre-provided redemption, a tower of redemption to protect us. He's protecting what already happened in the past, and he's going to bring those things that are valuable. You've got to be able to operate with love. You've got to be able to operate with hope, and you've got to be able to dream with him again. And we've got to see what he is restoring in us in the full extent of his redemption so that we can truly break partnership with the orphan spirit and the orphan thinking. So, Papa, I just thank you for what you have pre-planned so long ago that this was the Messiah's mission all along. I just thank you for opening our eyes and expanding our vision of what redemption really meant. When we hear redeeming love, it's not just that your love redeemed us, but that you are redeeming our love. You are redeeming the elements of your love in us that you gave us that were squandered or confiscated or forfeited or stolen. You're redeeming the fullness of what you prepared for us in our original design. So, Papa, I just pray that you would move Holy Spirit in each person's heart and mind and make this a personal word. Just reveal to them what you revealed to me personally yesterday of how how impactful this is, how life-changing it is to truly see the full extent of your redemption. I pray that you will give them dreams and reminders and visions of all that you are doing when you are stirring up the atmosphere, when you're shifting things and the winds are blowing and there's new noises and there's new challenges and new directions, that we will see it as your answer to prayer, that it's redemption in action, that it's the process and the sound and the feel of you returning things to us with interest paid. So we just thank you and we give you glory today for this message. We give you glory today for the grace you've already provided to walk it out and to move forward. And so we will turn our hearts and our minds on you and moving forward in this season. And we will leave the past for you to tend to and take care of. Thank you, Papa. Help us, Holy Spirit, break partnership with the orphan spirit. We want nothing left of it in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from One Life OK. For more information, please visit us at onelifeok.com.